What the hell is the name of this song? Is this Wayne's World? The award-winning Evan Grant. I can't even count anymore on my fingers and toes. Kevin Sherrington. Kevin Sherrington, clown number one. Barry Horn. He tried to get me in mid-chew. Hello, everybody, and welcome into a very special, the ballsiest of all ballsy podcasts, a very special Cowboys Palooza podcast. <laughs> that was, how did you do that, Barry? You, you like your voice? You, you that. like that? That's Kevin Sherrington. I'm Barry Horn. We have a very special Cowboys podcast. We have Stanford. He he was not alum, but he he went to Stanford. Babe Laufenberg on to talk about Dak Prescott and and being the number two quarterback. We have. Another Stanford. Now we have a real Stanford grad. Why are you so concentrating on Stanford? Because because I went to a good college too. Where did you go? <laughs> I, I went to Houston, and you went to Northwestern. You got your master's at Northwestern. Yes. Anyway. Okay. Don't interrupt. Minute, Don't interrupt. Don't interrupt. Who, who got the biggest bang for their buck here? Don't. We're, we're both doing the same thing, and you make a lot more yeah, money than me go. now. So no, that's, I that's, did that's, not make that, a lot that's, more. That's why you wanted to go. Yeah. But we also have former Stanford all-world safety defensive back. He knows Rod Marinelli. Uh, he John, knows everything. He knows everything. John Lynch about how how uh, Rod how how the Cal, how the Giants might defend against Dak Prescott and what he thinks about uh, defending uh, against rookie quarterbacks. Yes, and then we have David Moore, who we who we might learn who, who? David Moore, who is a Phyllis George Scholarship Award winner at the University of North North Texas. He was the prettiest recruit on the campus that summer. And then, and then we're going to wrap uh, a, a fourth member of our podcast of the Cowboys Palooza uh, podcast. We have Gary Myers, who has voted himself the number one <laughs> sports writer in the history of the Dallas Morning News. We already News. knew that. He's now, he's now with the New York Daily News, uh, but he knows a lot about the Giants, and he'll talk to us too. But let's, let's kick off this podcast. And, and best news of all. Evan Grant is in Seattle. There's no Evan Grant. There's no Evan Grant. It's just Kevin Sherrington and I, and let's hit the Cowboy Palooza. And our guest now is Babe Laufenberg, former Stanford Cardinal, and that has a lot to do with the news this week. Former uh, Indiana. Indiana. I think he was at the University of Missouri for about a a weekend, and is now the proud papa of a fighting Texas Aggie football player. Is that correct? Babe, how are you? I'm doing great. Good afternoon, boys. And... um yeah, my, my first experience at Kyle Field. And oh, that's the first time you've been there. First time I've been there. Well, yes, correct. I had been for Johnny Manziel's actually pro day workout, but that was in the indoor and hadn't been to a game, but yeah. I've been to the campus. But uh, So it's always fun to get a new experience at, at a place like that. And It was uh, a lot of fun and obviously turned out well for the Aggies. And, and that's for uh, Luke Laufenberg. He was playing tight end. Is he named after Luke Keekley? Related? Is he named after you? You have a habit of naming your children after football stars, don't you? Oh yes. You know, actually, um, two story. My older son, who's actually a student assistant coach at Colorado, uh, who had a big win over Colorado State this past week, um, he's named after Joe Namath, Joe Willie. Yes, we I know. wanted to name the second one Johnny U after Johnny Ryder. <laughs> I swear to you, his middle name was going to be U. The middle name would have just been the initial U. So he would have been Johnny U. And my wife, um, just she gave me the first one because she was a Joe Namath fan herself. But the second one, she kind of drew the line and said that, that's a little unusual. But I think I think so, I, I think this explains a lot about your marital situation and how she's. Well, I, I lost that battle. <laughs> hey, uh, let's let's talk Cowboys now. Uh, how good do you feel about the Cowboys going into the season with Dak Prescott uh, as the man in control? I, I feel as good as you can feel about any rookie quarterback. And I'll, I'll go back a ways to 1989. Uh, I was there for Troy Aikman's first game against the New Orleans Saints. It was at New Orleans. They had a really good defense at the time. They had those four linebackers. They were all pro bowlers, and, and they could get after the pass. So we got shut out 28 to nothing. Uh, I think we had about 100 yards of total offense. It was just, it was inept. And there was a lot of promise from that preseason, if you recall, and you're both old enough to have been there. You may not remember it at your age, but you're old enough to have been there. <laughs> we're both old enough to to forget yesterday. Yeah, Yeah. well, we were 3-1 and one and had only lost to Denver and John Elway in overtime. and um, So uh, there was great promise, 
for, for Troy and the number one pick and all that, and then they just obliterated us. And then after the game, though, I told Troy, uh, who, who really got the heck knocked out of him in that game, I said, the good news is you saw about every blitz that you could possibly see in the NFL. Because if there are 28 pass plays, New Orleans ran 28 different blitzes. So Dak is going to get a little taste of that on Sunday. How much do you think that the preseason prepared Dak for what he's going to see against the Giants? I actually think the whole offseason and training camp and preseason combined compared Dak, again, as well as you probably could be, because you know, Tony missed some practices in training camp. Uh, Dak got a lot of playing time in the preseason. Uh, it's interesting because Carson Wentz is going to start. He missed three preseason games. He's going to start the opener. I don't know how you do that. Um, I think that's just a recipe for disaster. So the, the other thing that Dak has going for him that Troy did not, he has a really good team around him offensively, a really good team. I do think this, if he ends up throwing the ball over 30 times, the Cowboys lose. If it's under 30, they win. So, uh, so you, you're, you're calling for a win here, then? You, you are, are you predicting a win for the Cowboys? If they throw it under 30. I think, you you know, usually you, you go down and you look, and you look at turnovers, third down conversions, all these things during the course of the game that lead you to find out who won the game. But I think in this game, I, I really believe that if you look at Dak Prescott numbers passing and the number is under 30, They've won the football game. They don't want to. You can't drop a rookie back 40 times and expect him to win the game for you, no, no matter how well he's done in the preseason. Do you think we'll see yeah, him? One, do you think we'll one see? thing about this team is they're capable, obviously, of, of of running the ball a bunch. And that was the recipe for success in 2014. That was a running football team. Do you, do you think we'll see Dak run with the ball, called uh, running plays from Dak? I would be, there, in answer to your question, yes. But I think it would be very limited. If, if I was the offensive coordinator, I, I do not want to get my quarterback hit. And no. it's not so much, not so much getting him hurt, which is obviously a, a concern, especially with nothing behind him right now, effectively because Mark Sanchez just got here and Camille Showers isn't ready. But um, the big thing is, you get to the fourth quarter, and if you've got your quarterback hit ten times running the football. You're not going to be able to raise your shoulder in the fourth quarter. I just don't want him to see him take that physical pound. I couldn't imagine more than I couldn't imagine more than two or three times they they would call uh, a that, that's, that, that's exactly what I see. I, I see maybe three carries, just enough to show it, obviously, and let him keep it. Uh, you know, we we've seen the read option now a ton through the all, all the college games and a few pro teams incorporate it, but I I would. If, if, once he carries it three times, I would say, okay, that's enough. What uh, I think you brought up Carson Wentz, and that's just a, a fascinating uh, story to me. What's going on in Philadelphia? Um, and, and and I my my take on that was the the trade with Minnesota uh, to send Sam Bradford there for a first and a fourth that could become a third. Uh, first of all, I, I I love Sam Bradford at Oklahoma. I'm not such a fan of him in the NFL. Uh, that the that the Vikings would go all in like that. Not only from their side, I, I see what Philadelphia. You know, you're getting a, a first and a fourth and maybe a third for a, a quarterback who's not going to be your starting quarterback. Uh, you know, after this year, so I see why they wanted to, to do that. But that's also just like you said. Now Philadelphia was willingly going with the the rookie quarterback as opposed to the Cowboys who were forced into this uh, situation. Do you do you understand what the, what the the Eagles are doing here? I I look at it really as an opportunity that was probably too good to pass up to ship Sam Bradford out of there. Um, the interesting thing to me is Doug Peterson, who is obviously the head coach in Philly. He was the guy that played the first 10 games while Donovan McNabb sat and watched him, even right. though McNabb was just like, I believe it was a third pick in the draft. Second, I think he was the second, second pick in the draft. Okay. So identical to Carson Wentz, second pick in the draft. And Doug Peterson was, was there and kind of just took his lumps. Doug Peterson was kind of that FCS game that the big, big boys line up, right, for the payday. Right. Bring him in, whip him up. So it's like, okay, Doug, you go out, you get – you get the heck knocked out of you, uh, and we'll bring this guy along slowly, and here came Donovan McNabb. So, to me, it was interesting that 
Doug Peterson, who was that guy, now throws Carson Wentz into the fire, who, again, is not prepared to do this. But none of them are. I'll never forget, my, uh, my older son was 16, turning 16. His driver's instructor came back. He was an old football coach, former football coach. And uh, I said, Bobby, you know, he's not ready to drive. And he said, oh, hell, babe, none of them are ready to drive. <laughs> so that's this whole rookie quarterback thing is like, hey, is this guy ready? None of them are ready. So you just see, you, you throw them out there, and you hope they can bring the car back in one piece. Now, I know we've discussed this quarterback situation in the past, and uh, and I know you have always been on board with the idea oh, of, goodness, of drafting quarterbacks, developing yeah. quarterbacks, and certainly I have been too. I've been writing that for years about the Cowboys. It always just seems to me that, that, that they get this all, all this stuff backwards. They're bringing in the veteran quarterback, whether you believe in Mark Sanchez or not, uh, and, and certainly he hasn't done much in his career to make you believe in him as a long-term answer. He might be a, a short-term but, you know, he should have been the number two in an ideal situation. A guy, a veteran quarterback who's played a little bit, had some success, not a lot, but he's had some. Uh, and then Dak Prescott is the guy that's his backup. But in the Cowboys system, you bring in this guy, and now he's the, he's the, he's the backup. Sanchez is the backup quarterback with no experience whatsoever in the system that the Cowboys are running at all. So he's really not ready to play, as you, as you noted, and, and probably wouldn't be ready to play for two or three weeks. So if something were to happen to Dak – uh, in the, in the opener or anything in the next couple of weeks, the Cowboys would really be screwed because then they'd be throwing out a guy who's a veteran quarterback, which is what you want, but he's not doing you any good being a veteran because he has no experience in this system. The the interesting thing to me, Kevin, and yes, we are totally aligned on this quarterback thing. And when you look at it, the Cowboys have had, I think, what you would call two successful quarterbacks, right? Troy Aikman, which I think that's a slam dunk. In the Jerry and, Jones era, yeah. Yeah, and Tony Romo. Right. And the one came with the first pick in the draft, and there was just, it was a no-brainer. And the other just kind of fell out of the heavens. But as far as looking and targeting and developing, it just hasn't happened. Here's the thing that I find, I'll call it fascinating. How's that? Is that a good word? Yes, fascinating. <laughs> Last year, all we heard was if Matt Castle had been here in training camp, would have been a different story. So Kellen Moore goes down. You've had, I mean, it's not like you have to recall, you, have to, you don't have to go through your mental Rolodex to 20 years ago and say, gosh, I remember when that happened. It happened last year. I would have had a quarterback in here, throw, throw a blanket around him. As soon as Kellen Moore goes down, I bring a guy in here and at least have him ready. Um, now Sanchez is in the same position as Matt Castle was last year, trying to play catch-up in an offense. And I will disagree with you. You say, hey, in two or three weeks, I'll know it. He won't know this offense throughout the year. You know, coming in and not having any foundation in what you're doing and not getting any reps, he's not, you know, Dak Prescott's going to get all the reps. Um, you just got to keep your fingers crossed. Yes. Let's, 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 and put, it's not, let's, let's play. Though, it's, it's not an indictment on Sanchez. Oh, no, no, not at all. Here. Not at all. Yeah, it just, I've been there where you, you go to a, I remember I went to New Orleans. I was there for nine weeks. I'd like to think I'm relatively smart. It wasn't an extremely complicated offense, but you're just trying to regurgitate things. Well, let's you, know, let's, you don't have a foundation for what you're doing. You're just regurgitating. Babe, let's let's play six degrees of Babe Laufenberg. You said you'd like to think you're relatively smart. You went to Stanford. When you were at Stanford, <laughs> well, when you were at Stanford, there was a quarterback there who came in right after you named John Elway. Who is now the uh, who runs the operation in Denver? John Elway saw Mark Sanchez. Obviously, didn't like him. He's they cut him. What does it tell you? Right. What does it tell you that that John Elway had no use for Mark Sanchez? Well, I, I don't know if there's anybody I respect more than John in terms of how he's built his team there, and and certainly <laughs> if if you want to go to a guy and say, what do you think of this quarterback? Elway would be right up at the top of my list. And, right. Solicit that opinion. The other guy would be Ron Wolf, by the way. But um, I can't wait to tell yeah, Troy Aikman it, it this. Certainly, it certainly says something. It certainly says something. But and especially when Sanchez didn't have to beat out John Elway to be the starter there, right? Right, right. So it certainly says something. But we've we've seen enough of Sanchez, and he'll be he'll be fine. He's again, I, I throw a blanket around all these. 
kind of backup quarterbacks, if you will. Is this guy better than that guy? Maybe marginally. Is this guy going to be a little better for your football team? Maybe. But again, you, you could have brought any one of 10 guys in here, and I wouldn't have been alarmed nor excited about him. They should have, and, and that was a point I had made last week in the, in the quarterback uh, um, derby that they always have with the, with the Cowboys, that uh, just what you said, they, you know, they're, they're waiting for another quarterback to become available. I think at that point they had just, you know, after giving Kyle Orton that big contract, it seems like they had just decided, oh, we're never doing that again. We're never giving a big contract out to a backup quarterback. We're going to just kind of get by here and just find people when they get released and, and someone comes available uh, on the cheap. Yeah, and it's a, and, and Kyle Orton played very well in that Philadelphia game. So they really needed Kyle Orton one time, obviously through the interception at the end of the game, going for um, Miles, Austin. But he played very well in that Philadelphia game when they needed him. And even if you said, well, we just paid – I don't know what the total figure was, but we just paid $10 million to get one game out of a guy. That was a huge game to get out of your quarterback at that point. So That's why you're paying him for him. You're not paying right. You're not paying him to come in and start 15 games for you. You're paying him for that. And, and you're right. You it know, was $10.5 million over three years is what they paid him. Okay. And I look at that backup quarterback like insurance. And I don't mean insurance like an insurance for your starter. I mean insurance that we all go out and buy. Right? I haven't right. been in an accident I haven't had an accident in 40 years. Here's wow, <laughs> look at you. Here's, Can you be my driver from now on? Here's the jinx. <laughs> yeah. just jinx. There's the jinx. I, I get the good driving rate, but I buy insurance because, you know what, when I need it, I'm going to really need it. And that's that backup quarterback. That's what I mean, think that, that maybe Jerry doesn't have insurance. Do you think that that's possible? That's why he has so much money he's not buying insurance? selling it that's why it's got so yeah, much money that's what it is J- babe yeah. babe uh you've had some back issues in, in your uh in your career what do you make of tony's back well he's had four traumatic injuries to that spine i mean that's what it becomes so the two disc herniations which both required surgery at different times and he's had two fractures in the back so that that whole spine is getting weakening weakened excuse me um I'm very concerned about that. And it was interesting, too. I don't know if you uh, were watching the game and then heard my commentary at the end. Matter of fact, I'll email it to you uh, when we finish up here. Please. But everybody was, he's fine, he's fine, he's fine. I I just knew, I knew that injury. And I knew he wasn't fine. And I knew that they thought he was fine, if that makes sense. I don't think anyone was lying. Tony wasn't lying. Coaches weren't lying. But, Jerry came on. But they, they want to uh, think he's fine. That, they they want to think he's isn't fine. Isn't the most disturbing thing about this to me, and, I, and you know how this is, coaches, general managers, owners, they say one thing and they're, they're trying to cover up for something else. Uh, but it does seem to me when they say we have no concern about his fragility, we have no concern that, uh, that something's going to happen. And we were just shocked when he went down. And I, and I get the feeling that they really mean that, that, that every time Tony gets hurt, they're shocked. Well, and, and obviously he's 36 years old now. Uh, he's not 23 or fill in the blank. Um, and again, he's had four traumatic injuries to that back. Um, is the next one going to surprise anyone? Yeah, no, there's, it'll surprise not. Jerry Jones. I, I, you know, I said, oh, it'll surprise Jerry Jones. He's had five broken bones. Now, now, babe, you being a quarterback, obviously, there's all kinds of things that can happen to you, and I, and I don't always necessarily believe that guys are actually injury prone, but when you had five broken bones, I, that has to lead the NFL, doesn't it? Well, it's interesting because we're going to see a guy coming in on Sunday, Eli Manning, who has 194 consecutive starts. Now, that, I always remember I did a radio show years ago with Daryl Johnston when he was playing, and I, he was a guest, and somebody from the audience says, boy, how does it feel that you've never been hurt? <laughs> well, every year after the season, Daryl Johnston was having a surgery of some type, shoulder, right. knee, neck, and so the, the notion that he was never hurt is not accurate. The notion that he played hurt a bunch is accurate, so... How Eli Manning has managed to go 194 games, uh, straight game. He's never missed a game. That is uh, phenomenal. That's a phenomenal streak. Phenomenal yes. streak. And he's, trust me, he's getting beat up. He just, somehow he manages a way to get to the next game. But again, once that spine 
has been weakened. Like Tony has been weakened. Um, I just I, I don't see a long future. No, babe. Thank. And I also very quickly. Excuse me. I don't mean to cut you off, but I also don't buy the notion that well, when Tony comes back, when Tony comes back, we went through that last year, didn't we? Yes, babe. Thanks so much, babe. You promised us ten minutes. We're at twenty minutes. We lo- <laughs> we, we we love you. Uh, thanks so much for being on, and, and we're going to make you an official correspondent of the Ballsy Podcast. How does that make you feel? Uh, it makes me feel really good. It would have made me feel even better if Evan Grant had seen it, had deemed his time worthy to speak to me today. Oh, like he's he he's eating in he's eating in Seattle. He has no time. He, he has no, no time for us, babe. For babe, thanks so much hey, for being uh, with us. You got it. You asked for ten. I gave you twenty. Under promise, over deliver. What a guy. <laughs> Be well, Waffenberg. <laughs> there he goes. Thanks, Babe. We'll, and we'll see okay, Babe. We'll, and we'll listen to Babe. He'll he'll be at the Cowboy Opener alongside Brad Sham and the great Christy Scales. Uh, on, what a crew on, that on, is on Cowboy Radio. Is there seriously? Is there a be- is there a better crew than that on any NFL broadcast? Uh, on, ra- on home team radio, yeah. everybody likes their home team. Broadcast. Uh, that's, yeah, that's really good though. Very professional. Yeah. Great group. All right. We'd like to thank Babe for being on this Ballsy podcast. And now on the line with us, the great Gary Myers, Sports Day uh, alum, and now working in New York where he is the man on anything NFL-related. Gary, so great to have you on with us. How's it going? Great, Kevin. How you doing? What's up, Barry? Uh, Gary, who would be, in your estimation, the second greatest sports writer ever to work at the Dallas Morning News? Because I know who, you, who you'd pick number one. Uh, there you go. Good answer. I like that. Very right. good. Gary, we have you on because you really know you have an inside look at the Giants. The, uh, you, know, you know Steve Spagnuolo. What are you thinking he has in store for the, for the Cowboys and Dak Prescott this week? Well, you know, the, the Giants um, spent an awful lot of money to fix their defense, which was historically bad last year. They spent over $20 million in contracts and $100 million guaranteed on just three players, which were Olivier Vernon, who was the best free agent defensive end, Snax Harrison, who was the best free agent defensive tackle, and Janoris Jenkins, who was the best free agent quarterback. Whether or not they can play together, you know, we'll, we'll find out soon because, they weren't on the field all that much in the preseason, but I would expect that Spags, and I'm not talking about Mickey Spagnuolo, I'm talking about Steve Spagnuolo, I, I would expect that Spags would really try to get after Dak Prescott on Sunday afternoon, which is no surprise, with you know, JPP, who is all the way back now from that horrible uh, accident last year on July 4th, which blew off you know, uh a full finger and then halves of two others, but you know he's been fitted with a special glove this year and uh, he's in tremendous shape. So with him coming from one side and, and Vernon coming from the other, um, I, I would really expect the Giants' defense to give uh, Prescott as, as many different looks as possible and as much pressure as possible. And um, you know, and it's. You know, fortunately for the Cowboys, that's going against the strength of their team, which is the offensive line. You know, Kevin Kevin has a, a had a crush on Olivier Vernon. He he wanted the Cowboys desperately to sign him. Well, it, it made sense to me, Gary. Here were here was the Cowboys, and then in the, in the uh, spot they're in right now, they don't have a a, a good defensive end at this point. Pass rusher, no, no, they don't have one. So it's like I, I realized that that was a lot of money they wanted to pay. For that guy, but you know, it's the two things you got to have. You got to have a quarterback. You got to have a pass rusher. They don't have a pass rusher, so well, yeah, and, and that's how the Giants. Well, you know, the Giants have never been real big spenders in free agency. They just happened to have a, a boatload of money this year and a tremendous need all over the defense. You know, it would have been nice when you give a guy uh, an eighty-five million dollar contract if he at least had one Pro Bowl on his resume, which Vernon does not have, and you know, he's never been. You know, put up prolific numbers, but he's only been in the league four years, and the Giants think they're getting a player, they're getting an ascending player here to team with uh, JPP, and that they can have a dynamic pass rush. The last two times the Giants won the Super Bowl in 07 and 11, uh, the strength of their team really was up front and putting on tremendous pressure. So they're trying to recreate that now with 
you know, the next set of great pass rushes, which they hope will be Jason Pierre-Paul and Olivier Vernon. And, and, you know, Damon Harrison up the middle is as good a, a run stopper and as good a defensive tackle putting pressure on the quarterback as he is in the NFL. So um, that's what I would expect from the Giants Sunday night, to, to, to really do all they can to rattle Prescott. I know he put up tremendous numbers uh, in the preseason games, and he's probably the best player in the league in the season, but... You know, it's vanilla defense. It's known the defense is the game planning at that point. And whether that can now transition over into games that count, you know, we'll start to find out on Sunday afternoon. You know, there's, there seems to be a feeling out there that the Cowboys, because they are a run-oriented team, because they want to go back to what they were in 2014, which was so successful, that, you know, they, they can get away with a run the ball and maybe – uh, Dak Prescott would only have to throw the ball 18 to 20, 22 times, and then everything would be just fine. But to me, won't every defense in the league say, we're going to load the box and we're going to take away the run because we can do that no matter how good your offensive line is, no matter how good Zeke Elliott is or Alfred Morris is, if we want to stop the run, we can do that. We're going to make your quarterback beat us by throwing the ball. Isn't that what the Giants are going to do? Well, sure. I think until Prescott shows that he can be the passer in, in the postseason like he was in the preseason, you have to test him out of the way. It's interesting that, you know, the two key players uh, in, the, in the Cowboys' offense are both rookies, you know, in Prescott and Elliott. Elliott's a terrific player, uh, at least in Ohio State, and usually that can be carried over to if a guy's a good running back in college, he usually. Uh, we get some exceptions like Trent Richardson. Uh, they can put up pretty good numbers in the NFL as well. But, you know, relying on two rookies now, one a quarterback and one to be your running game, it is it is risky. And to expect Elliott to do anything like DeMarco Murray did two years ago, you know, right off the bat is probably asking too much, especially when the defenses are not going to be respecting the passing game for a season I mean, Prescott's going to have, despite what he did in the preseason, he's going to have to earn the respect of the coordinators. And until that point, the Giants and other teams will be loading up to try to stop the run. I mean, this is really going to be a fascinating game because you have a guy like Prescott who you knows a fourth-round pick. It's not like he was the first pick in the draft. The questions about him that he left, I think he was the eighth quarterback taken. So there are enough questions about him that the Cowboys, you know, tried to trade up for Paxton Lynch. They tried to trade up for Connor Cook, and then basically settled for Prescott. So um, again, despite the great numbers that he put up in the preseason, there's enough holes in his game that I think there's a lot for the Giants to try to take it. You, you know, Gary. Jerry Jones' revisionist history has it that they like Prescott better than all the other quarterbacks. Oh, they wouldn't trade him for – he said he wouldn't trade him for uh, Paxton Lynch straight up right or, now. Or Wentz, I think he said. He, said. No, he wouldn't trade one. him for, any, he he wouldn't trade trade him for anybody. anybody. But it was, I, I just want to tell you, it was a great to have you for old time's sake uh, on our podcast today. I know you're coming to town early. I know we're going to dinner on uh, Saturday night, and we're not inviting Kevin. Wow, that is so cold. But thanks – Mrs. Sherrington? Oh, yeah, there you go. Ev- everybody's favorite Sherrington. The lovely Debbie. Everybody's favorite Sherrington. Gary, thanks so much for your time. All right, see you guys later. All right, see you. Bye. We have former Stanford all-world safety defensive back John Lynch. John, when you were playing DB defensive back in the league, did you just savor playing against rookie quarterbacks? Oh yeah, you know if, if you're a defensive player, you're lying if uh, if if you aren't excited to play against a, a rookie quarterback. But I will say, after having done that a lot in my career, it's worked both ways. And I think um, you know one thing as an opposing defense that you have to be cognizant and aware of. Uh, I remember one time in particular on a Monday night, I was still playing in Tampa, and we were playing Charlie Batch and the Detroit Lions, and Charlie Batch was starting his first game. And in Tampa, our defense was all about, really, its, its genius was in its simplicity. Uh, you knew what we were going to do. We knew what we were going to do. Now go ahead and beat us. But we had, fortunately, guys like Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks and Rondé Barber and myself. We, we had a lot of good players. And so that system worked very well. But when we got Charlie Batch, I think we kind of fell into the trap of, now we got to try to trick this guy. And, and we became so 
uh, focused on our disguises and showing different looks and trying to confuse Charlie Batch, who was a very poised and smart and heady player. Uh, he figured it out. We ended up losing that game to, you know, Charlie Batch. And so I think we got away from what we did best. So I, I, I you know, now numerous times I've gone the other way where we've absolutely feasted and, and on, on rookie quarterbacks and, and, uh, have gotten on the head, but I think what you have to be careful of as an opposing defense is just play your game. Um, you know, Dak Prescott had an excellent preseason. Um, he didn't look like a rookie at all, and I think the fact that these kids throw the football so much more at the lower levels at high school and college, it prepares them better um, for these opportunities when they come their way. What do you think would be the biggest issue then for Dak uh, in the, in the opener against the uh, the Giants? Is it is it just just the, the speed of the game, or will it be the, the 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 problems that they present? Not only you know as you said disguising things, people always think that the that defenses are just going to blitz a guy crazy. It's not necessarily that. It's the, the fact that they will fake a, a blitz and then drop into coverage and, and do all those different things. Which would you think will uh, uh, count as a bigger issue for for Dak in the opener? Well, I, I think it's really a situation, Kevin, where it's all of the above. Um, you know, really what happens, people talk about the speed of the game, and, and, you know, you get to preseason, and is it faster than practice? Absolutely. Is it faster than even if you're scrimmaging another team? Yes, but then you get to the regular season, and it goes up a notch. And, um, you know, you're playing the Cowboys, it goes up a notch in a division rivalry. And so there's all these things that the speed is a lot a lot quicker and then i think most importantly for a quarterback is that someone is game planning you and now the beauty for dak is they don't have a whole lot to go on um but each week they'll gather more information and um when you start to throw a legitimate game plan not only against dak but against the cowboys in preseason he saw vanilla defenses and he responded very well that's not to say that he won't respond well but it is a lot tougher when you throw the fact that First of all, and probably more importantly than anything, you're going to be playing against the best players that that team has to offer, that this league has to offer throughout the entire game, not like for 10 snaps like you did in preseason, let's get them out of here. You're going to be playing against the best players. Uh, The speed of the game will increase because the best players are there, because it's the regular season and more is at stake. You know, and then you're going to be game-planned again. So when you put all that together – the level of uh, difficulty goes up tenfold, twentyfold, and so. Um, but I, 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 I keep going back to every time that I've seen him from afar, and I haven't done a deep study as of yet. Um, he's responded with flying colors. John Cruden says that Dak reminds him of Donovan McNabb. Does does do you see that? Well, I think uh, in the stature, you know, they're they're both. Um, big and strong guys. And I remember the very first time I played Donovan McNabb in his first game uh, as a pro up in Philly. Uh, is uh, Doug Peterson, who's now the head coach in Philly, was the starting quarterback in that game. And then after a while, they brought Donovan in. We really got after him, but we all came out of that game going, wow, you've got to hit this kid. You know, we were, we were coming after him in every direction. And I remember one time I, you know, a safety blitz and I get in the backfield, I hit him and he bounced right off me. And then it was an incomplete pass, but I was going, how did that kid not go down? And so um, I think the stature, the strength, um, his ability uh, to move within the pocket, but keep his eyes downfield. There are a lot of things uh, that are similarities. And, and, you know, I think that uh, I think that's an apt comparison by coach Gruden. And and that bodes well for, uh, for Dak because uh, Donovan was a heck of a player. You played uh, against, uh, as you said, how, how many times did you think you uh, played against a, a rookie quarterback making his first start? You know, I don't know the numbers, but, geez, I played 15 years. I, I would bet I did it over 10 times in my career, you know, and, and you know, even more than that. But, and what uh, and what's know, some of the ones that stand out to you that you, that you recall? Well, I, I think that one Charlie Batch one really stands out because it didn't go the right way. Um, I think of Cade McDowell and those – those typically did go the right way. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <get> team around them. <laughs> um, uh, you know, Donovan McNabb is one. And so those are the ones that, that um, you know, that come to mind. Uh, Peyton Manning, you know, we, we did play. And, uh, you know, Peyton, you could see uh, what a good player, but his team wasn't there. I think that's what Dak has going for him is that offensively he's got such a solid foundation around him, starting with 
the best offensive lineman in football with a tremendous target outside in Des Bryant and a team that doesn't need to go back and throw the ball 50 times to be successful. They're, they're predicated and set up to run the ball, to have balance, and that can only help any quarterback and especially a rookie quarterback. Yeah, one player you didn't mention there is Zeke Elliott, Ezekiel Elliott, the running back. Uh, what are some of your thoughts about him? Well, um, you know, I've got a great deal of respect for Cam Chancellor. Um, he plays the game a lot like I used to play it, and I think when a guy like that um, – is giving a guy credit like wow you know he was harder to bring down than i thought um for cam chancellor to admit to that that there's something there and so um i think he just he you can see why that the cowboys were so excited uh to to draft him um because he kind of has it all he's got the speed he's got power he's got the toughness and um he certainly has the offensive line in front of him so it just it uh it for what they're trying to do offensively uh, I think it was a great pick, and to have Alfred Morris there as well, um, it's just they've, they've got a great situation at the running back uh, spot uh, for the Cowboys. As Barry mentioned, we had Babe Laufenberg on in a podcast, and his belief was that if the Cowboys can cut their cut the, the passing, if, they, if they've got to throw the ball more than 30 times, they're probably going to lose. If they're going to throw it 30 or less, their chances of winning go way up. What do you, What do you feel about that? Yeah, I think that's true, and that's not to, you know, um, I, I think the other thing that Cowboys have to do, you know, that style of game, um, they're shorthanded at, at uh, you know, on the defensive side of the ball. So the more they control the ball, the less that defense has to play. And that defense, Rod Marinelli, will get them playing hard. Um, he'll max out what he has there, but they're, they're short with the suspensions and, and, and all. And then I think even with that, they were a little shorthanded. So you're going to have to – this offense is going to have to live up to the hype, um, you know, and even with the rookie quarterback, they're going to have to control the game and play in a manner that uh, complements uh, what they have defensively. And so I think, and then you add the fact that they have a rookie quarterback, I think that's, um, you know, a, an astute comment by by Babe, and I think it's very true. And, you know, it's, that's typically, if you have to throw 30 times, I think that's the key. If you want to throw 30 times because it's there, been great, but if you're in a situation where you're having to throw, that's not a good situation. So, uh, when you watch this deep, and you, we didn't really talk, we've talked all about offense, we haven't talked any about the Cowboys defense, and as you mentioned, obviously, they've got guys under suspension, guys who are not there, holes in it. How good can this defense be in, in this, in, with the personnel it has on hand? Well, um, you know, the great the great thing about, uh, about defense is that um, you know, collectively you can do it. You can go play hard, but the the bottom line is this is the NFL, and you got to have guys that can beat the guys in front of them one on one. That's what makes great defenses. And and you know, you struggle to find those guys uh, for the Cowboys that that uh, you you can say, all right, consistently he gets the one on one, he's winning. And so much of this league, I mean, if you want to break down this league to the to to its simplest. Uh, fundamentals right now you know john elway my good friend when he took over in denver he he said he talked to ernie of course he's a great you know former gm and ernie of course he says you got to find the quarterback and you got to find the guys to knock down the quarterback i mean that's that's at its simplest and and so you know right now you know you struggle to find those guys for the cowboys that can consistently do that so that's going to be their challenge that's not to say that someone can't step up and and that some guys can step up and I've played for Rod Marinelli. I think they have the best coach in football at generating pass rush and getting the best out of out of players that a lot of people haven't heard of. So, um, but it, just when you look at it on the surface, um, it, it, you know it's it's definitely of concern. John, what makes Rod Marinelli so good at that? Uh, you know, I I just um, he's a tremendous teacher, um, uh, a tremendous motivator uh, of. And when I say teacher of, of pass rush fundamentals, you know, he, uh, you know, Warren Sapp was a tremendously gifted player, but Rod Marinelli helped him hone the finest details of the pass rush. Five steps to the quarterback is what they used to always talk about, and, and you would see it come to life on film. And, and so um, those guys know that they, you know, I, I think the other thing with Rod Marinelli, 
uh, I know this is that he's not in there making excuses about who they don't have. And, and a lot of people, even coaches would be doing that, but he's going to say, Hey, this is, this is what we got. And I'm happy to have you guys and let's go. And so he, he's a guy that you want to play really well for. Um, but again, I keep going back to at some point, you got to have, have, uh, have the guys that consistently beat people. And uh, I, I think that's why this game is so great. And now we get to go see if there are guys that emerge that can do that. John, thank you so much for your time. You were terrific. Thanks, John. Thank you, guys. And now joining us at the Ballsy Podcast is our Cowboys beat writer, Dallas Morning News, David Moore. David, how are you? But I just want to correct Kevin. This isn't just a Ballsy Podcast. This is Cowboys Palooza. Oh, Cowboys Palooza. Our, our well, season opening podcast. David, a while ago, uh, you know, our, our good friend Brian Allage, uh, the producer of this fine uh, podcast, tried to do a little special effects thing, and he put this echo chamber on. And instead of just talking normally, as a normal broadcaster or podcaster would do, Barry screamed into, the, into his microphone, and I have, I'm not the same, I have to say. <laughs> you don't sound the same. Dave, David, uh, other other guests we have on, on as you know, is, are John Lynch, the Fox analyst who went to Stanford, Babe Laufenberg, the Cowboy radio analyst who went to Stanford, and I thought it would be just fair to have a guy who went to the Stanford of Denton, North Texas, David Moore, join us. David, just just okay. Real real quickly, let me say something. Did either one of those other guests ever win the Phyllis George Scholarship? The, I didn't know there was a Phyllis George scholarship. Were you at? Were you on a beauty contest? Is is that what happened? <laughs> wow, man! She was a journalist as well, sir. Thank oh, you. well, that's right. I forgot about that. I thought she just would just won a beauty contest and then married the governor of Kentucky. David, when when, when how much was you that? No, sc- I'm not going to win any beauty contest. <laughs> how much was that scholarship for? How much was that scholarship for? Well, that would probably date me. How long ago I went there? But let's just say, with the $250 I got from that scholarship, (laughs) it paid for my entire 18 hours that semester (laughs) and all but one textbook. (laughs) You boy, you're old. And you got what you paid for, that's for sure. Oh, that comes from that comes from a University of Houston graduate. Yeah, that's exactly right. As I explained to them a while ago, my first semester in college, it wasn't even at University of Houston, it was a junior college. Seventy eighteen hours, seventy two bucks. <laughs> Times have changed a bit. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. So David, we have the Cowboys season getting ready to kick off. They open, of course, uh, Sunday, uh, in the late window, Sunday afternoon against the Giants. Give us a prediction. Tell us what to look for in that game and a season prediction for the Cowboys. I'll start backwards and go forward. I still think this team is capable of winning nine to ten games and should be considered a a strong contender to win the NFC East. Now, that would lead to a discussion of, well, exactly how strong is the NFC East and aren't all four teams in it. You can make that argument if you wish. But uh, I think that – they have enough offensive weapons and people who have been in the scheme long enough where uh, they're going to have the offense to win any game they're in. The question is obviously their defense. It's going to be how these games unfold. Early in the season, it's going to be how up and down a rookie quarterback and Dak Prescott is going to be. But I I just feel the way this team is built that uh, they do have a chance to win 9 to 10 games and, and challenge for the division title. Are you, going back on what – I'm sorry. Yeah. Now, are, are you seeing a lot of high-scoring games? Well, I don't know that it has to be high-scoring because I, I think Dallas is one of the more complete offenses in the NFL. Um, a lot of it can be about controlling the clock. You can jump up 14-0 and then win a game 21-20 because you control the clock the rest of the way and they're getting enough on the ground uh, that you just manage and control the game and overpower an opponent versus being explosive. I think Dallas can be explosive, but I also think it can be methodical and uh, just grind opponents into submission as well offensively. And I think they'll, they'll do whatever it is uh, that is required. I, I think they're a very versatile uh, offense. Uh, I, I think one of the most versatile in the league. So um, I don't know that it's going to be a lot of high-scoring games. You would lean that way because of the state of their defense. 
Um, but again, here's the other thing. If, if they jump up to early leads, which they did two years ago and not last year, and then the opposing offenses turn it over a little bit, which Dallas didn't get many turnovers last year, um, you know, I, I don't know that Dallas is going to keep pushing the envelope. I think they'll say, oh, we have an early 17-point lead if that does unfold. And then they will just uh, approach the game a little bit differently and, and be more conservative uh, because they still feel they can pick up first downs and, and uh, move the chains that Jason Garrett constantly talks about. So, David, if you're picking the Cowboys to go 7-9 and nine now with Tony Romo out eight games at least, I think eight games, even though they have not put him on the IR, um, what would you have said for the Cowboys if Tony had not been hurt? Well, again, I'm 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 saying I'm still saying they win nine or ten games even with that coming in here at the start. So there's no uh, no there's no what I'm saying is there's no difference if if, if Tony were here, would you have said if they were would here the whole time? Yes. Then, then, then I would say ten to eleven. Okay. Um, because I still think this team is built the way it is built. Hey, look, you know, in an age where where. 25 teams in the league don't even carry a fullback. Dallas decided to carry two fullbacks on its 53-man roster. This team is built to run. It's going to run. Um, and it's equipped, even if, if Elliott is out for uh, a game or two or, or certainly a series, they can still keep running because of Alfred Morris and, and, and Darius Jackson and Lance Dunbar, the guys they have behind them. So I think they're equipped to maintain this running mentality the whole time, which while rookie quarterbacks certainly tend to be up and down, and Dak Prescott would be the only rookie quarterback who would never have done that if that, if that transpires this year. He, he's going to have some bad games. But I don't know that a lot of other rookie quarterbacks are going to be have this sort of offensive line in front of them and have this sort of commitment to the run game with not just one or two talented guys in the running game, but more, where if even if you miss a guy or shut down a guy a little bit, uh, you can put someone else in there and approach it a little bit differently and, and maybe get a different result. So, you know, whether it was Tony Romo or Dak Prescott in there, I think this team this year was built to for the quarterback to enter a game with the idea that, you know what, we only need you to throw 18 to 22 times this game. You don't have to win this game for us. Just, you know, don't turn it over. We're going to, our personnel is going to excel. We're going to get the points, and then we can manage the game in the fourth quarter the way we want. I think it's still built that way, even with a rookie quarterback in there. So I don't, I don't know that the, that doesn't really alter my overall prediction that much, the fact that a rookie quarterback is going to be there early in the season based on how we saw Dak Prescott perform in, in the preseason. All right, let's talk about something near and dear to my heart. I'm in a 12-team fantasy league. Where should Zeke Elliott be taken? What would be too high to take Zeke Elliott in the league? I'm not sure you could take him too high. I think you can make a very strong argument. Look, last year, I believe, Gurley rushed for 1,100 yards, maybe got close to 1,200, and he didn't play in three games, and he was coming off a major injury. Um, Especially if you're in a league that is going to count receptions and the yardage you get off the receptions yes, as well, uh, then I, you know, I think there may be some games where uh, Elliott has a tough time running, and they'll just go, okay, let's just get you going by swinging out. We're going to throw the ball to you, and then what they have to account, account for you with that, uh, we'll come back and just pound them between the tackles again. Uh, I would be, if, if Ezekiel Elliott is healthy all season, or the vast majority of the season, and doesn't have anything that knocks him out a game or two, um, I, I would. It's, it's difficult for me to envision a scenario where he has less than twelve to thirteen hundred yards rushing this year. It really is. Now, I, I would see your point, obviously, that the Cowboys are uh, built to run the ball. That's what they want to do. It was what was so successful in two thousand and fourteen, um, but. In 2014, you still had the threat of Tony Romo. The team still had to respect what he could do. And uh, and so they couldn't exactly just load the box against you. What keeps opposing defenses this year from just loading the box? And it doesn't matter how great your offensive line is or how great your running backs. If you've got a mismatch there in the number of people, uh, then you're, you're not going to succeed. Oh, that is what's going to happen. They're going to load the box early. They're going to dare Dak Prescott to throw. There, there's no question about that. That's how every defensive coordinator would approach it. 
I think there are some differences here in that, you know, Prescott showed during the preseason he really did a good job of, of taking his reads and, and going where, you know, going where he needs with the ball. So it's not like, okay, they're loading up, so I've got to get the ball to Dez, even though they're shading him over the top with a safety and everyone else is in single coverage. I mean, he really did go where the coverage dictated. And if you're going to load the box, uh, you're going to give him uh, an open guy or a guy in the crease, and he's shown he's willing to take the the shorter path and and just keep it moving and and has been pretty accurate with it. The other thing I think you're going to see is uh, you're going to see some more zone read elements in this offense than you've seen before. And if you're shutting down, if you're stacking the box to shut down Elliott, and you go back to throw, and then that breaks down, and you now have a quarterback who can run out of there and get you 15 to 18 yards, you do that once or twice a game, even when you're, even when you're loading the box, that's still going to be open, and that gives a defender another, another area he has to be concerned about that he didn't have to be concerned about with Romo. Romo was elusive and was always looking to throw the ball downfield. From what we've seen on Prescott, He's elusive, still looks to throw the ball downfield, but is a much more capable runner and, and is willing to, to go upfield and, and has pretty good size to him as well. So I think that's going to be the other thing that's going to make it difficult for defense is just to say, okay, if we stop Elliott, we're going to make Dak Prescott throw and let's see what he has and we'll mix up our coverages. He may go, well, yeah, I'll throw when I know I'm not going to get picked off, but you know what? This coverage confuses me, so I'm just going to take off and pick up eight, nine yards here. We're certainly uh, excited about seeing what those possibilities are with the rookie quarterback and what they do this week. David, thanks for coming on with us. We know you're very busy out there. There's lots going on. Uh, as opposed hey, I'm to, a very, very busy man, Kevin. Yes, I you are. I David, had time to do this. David, th- barely had time to do this. David, <laughs> thanks, thanks for being a friend of the podcast and really, really <laughs> the fourth musketeer in this. <laughs> Well, guys, I always enjoy it. Be, w- be well. That's the Phyllis George Scholarship winner of 1956, <laughs> I think it is. He was the most beautiful. He was the most beautiful time. journalism uh, student on campus that semester, I believe. That was that's the award he got that for. <laughs> Thanks so much, David. All right, that was an unbelievable podcast. I don't know how we come back from this because you know, you know what? How do we we're, come we're back? starting to get paid by the minute on podcasts. <laughs> that's why. That's yeah. why we did the the first at, the first. Telethon podcast in the history of the Ballsy podcast. We had we had four guests on just for the Cowboys. Well, it's the Cowboys for gosh sakes. Do you know? I'll just give you a little thing that that I haven't written yet. Or the the Cowboys preseason game, the meaningless preseason game they played against the Houston Texans last Thursday night, outrated every college football game, uh, including the Texas uh, Notre Dame game uh, this weekend. It just shows you how how messed up. You this, cannot do too. The, here's the, here here it is. You cannot do too much Cowboys. No, you cannot, and we did it. We did it all. But that's why I said I don't know how we come back the next week. You know, we, we had a Cowboys Palooza. Next week we'll just have David Moore on or somebody like that. Well, I, then, let's, let's, I'll announce my retirement right now. Wow. Today I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. For Barry Horn and – I'm Kevin Sherrington. And Evan Grant, who's off on an eating binge in Seattle. Yes. We like to say thanks for listening, and don't forget to listen to our other Ballsy podcasts this week which include Evan Grant on the Texas Rangers. And we had so long ago, I can't even remember who did it. Kirk Bowles of the Austin American Statesman talking about Texas and college football. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.